Steve, thank you so much for that focus. I think that was a marvelous way of talking about our refuge. <clears throat> In a few minutes, I'm going to introduce our speaker for the, for the day. I'm not going to be your main speaker. I don't want to hear any amens on that. <clears throat> but I am going to not only introduce the speaker, I'm going to introduce the thought that we're going to be sharing in just a few moments. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, not just as I am, <laughs> verse 7 through 12 in a few moments. One writer called this the high water mark of 1 John. And it is important, it's the apex, it's a marvelous passage. And it's really easy, in a few minutes we're going to read this, and it's easy to miss the, um, how wonderful and how deep this message is. It's stated in such simple words, and because it's stated in a simple way, it's, it's, um, it's easy to miss what is being said. And that's true, I think, about the whole, the whole letter of 1 John. I want you to know that in my study this, of this letter, I've never studied this letter in, in this kind of depth. Uh, I have been changed. I am in the process of being changed, hopefully for the better, as I continue to study this book. And I realize that I have an advantage over you. I get to spend multiple hours. I try to figure out approximately how many hours I've spent studying this book, and it's, it's right at a 1,000, somewhere around a 1,000 hours. And you get 40 minutes, if you're lucky, 50, <laughs> per week that I share with you. And so what I want to do before our speaker comes up, I want to kind of give you a quick overview, kind of set the 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 tone of this book that will help us all understand it. You know, if you can just grasp, I'm going to give you five, five key words or key phrases. As you study the book of John, if you'll remember just these five, it will help enhance your study of this letter. The first one is the message, the message. John states in the, in the beginning that he's delivering a message, and that word means good news. And here's the good news. Here's the message that he wants you to, to understand. He's talking about real history. Something really happened in history. This is not theology. This is not a concept. This is not philosophy. This is reality. He says, I'm going to tell you that which we have seen which we have looked at, at, which we have touched with our, our hands. And he says, this is the reality of all realities, God among us. I want you to hang on to that, that what I'm telling you about isn't philosophy. It's about God in the flesh being with us. In his gospel, he said it this way. He said, no one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. When you look at Jesus, you see God. And that's what he's saying here. Do you want to know who God is? Oh, we can, we can learn a lot about God by just looking at the environment around us. There's a lot about God we can learn there. Romans tells us that. 
We can learn a lot about God in the Old Testament. We can learn a lot about God in the letters. But he says, unless you look through the clear lens of the person of Jesus, you really won't see God. I mean, you'll see, you'll see him, but you won't see him. We won't really ever perfectly see him, I guess, on, on, on earth. But he said, this is the clearest way of seeing God. This is the message, Jesus, in the flesh. Second word, light. He uses this concept of light. He says it in verse 5, God is light. But that whole concept goes really throughout the first half of, of 1 John. So as you read this, you think about light. God is light. And light, this main thing that he is trying to show here, it exposes, it reveals, it shows us something. And so God is showing us two things, himself and me. He's exposing me. He's showing who I am. And one of the things that he, he states in here is that who we are, we are sinners separated from true life, Zoe life, God life. That's who we were. But those are, who are in Christ, those who, as Steve was sharing, those who have, who have entrusted themselves to him, who have found their refuge in, in him, who have been immersed into Christ, and there you found that refuge. Those who have done that now are sinners purified. And he's just really real with us. He doesn't say, you no longer sin. He says, in fact, part of this walking in the light is actually realizing my weaknesses, my failures, and my sins, and confessing them, acknowledging them, saying, yes, I sin. Because he said, you know, if you say you don't sin, you're calling God a liar. And we don't want to do that. We would never think about doing that. But when we pretend that we don't sin, when we say that we've we don't sin, that everything's fine. He says, no, you're calling God a liar. We don't, percent, we don't, as I said, we don't pretend sinlessness. We acknowledge him. We're eternally grateful for that forgiveness, that continuous purification, as he says in 1 John 1, 7. We're continually purified as we walk in the light. And so what should that do? Number three, our first word, message. What? Light. Joy. I was ahead of myself. I kept saying, wanted to say joy, and I knew that was wrong. Joy. You know, just that one concept in 1 John should fill us with joy inexpressible. The word here means overflowing with joy. If you can grasp the concept that you as a sinner separated from life, God in Christ brought you into a relationship with him, he purified you of your sins, and he continually purifies you of your sins. And so one of the three express purposes of John's writing is that, you're, that you may be filled with the overflowing joy of the Lord. And so as you read this book, in the future you should say, why, does this, why should this bring me joy? Does this bring me joy? How does this bring me joy? And if you're not getting joy from it, you're missing, we're missing something. Because he said, I wrote this so that you will... Have joy, which leads me to the fourth uh, point. This message is a God-centered message, not man-centered. God-centered, not man-centered. There's key words all throughout this book. Live, know, abide, love, and they're all centered in God. 
And when we lose that center, when we use, lose that centered focus on God, we, we sin. We actually sin. We begin to look inward at ourselves. We begin to look at our own sins. And so Jesus, uh, John says here, I wrote this, the second purpose, so that you will not sin. And so as we look at Christ, as we look at God instead of our own selves, we don't sin. It's so easy to move, and we do it, I think, almost by the minute. We move from a God-centered existence to a man-centered existence. Let me give you an example. When I sin, when I recognize my sin, when I do something I know I shouldn't do, or when I don't do something I know I should do, when I fail, when I see my weakness, whether it's felony sins or misdemeanor sins, as I've said before, whether it's those little attitude sins that everyone does, so it's a misdemeanor, we don't really get upset about those little sins, those little sins that separated us from God, those little sins that destroy our lives. When we, don't, when we look at those and, and we, we look at them and say, oh, man, I, I, you know, I, I told God that I would stop doing that or I would, I would start doing this. And we look at ourselves and we say, well, what do I need to do? How, how, what do I need to change? How, how I should and how I ought and how, what I want. And, and, it's, and suddenly we're looking at ourselves and we see me and we're me-centered. And it happens, like I said, just in a second. We, we're, we become me-centered, man-focused in, our, in our, our lives. We lose our joy. We end up sinning because we get mad at ourselves. Our attitude, um, our attitude changes. We turn into either self-pity or self-righteousness when we do well. We look, hey, look how well I did. And suddenly our gospel is me-centered instead of God-centered. Over and over and over, what this book does is bring us back and say, no, it's all about God. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on God. It's not about everything you do. Yes, we do things, and we don't do things. I've said that many times. But where's your focus? Where's your center? And if it's on anything but God and Christ and what he's done for us, you've missed it. You've missed it. And we miss it all day long because we always come back. And, when, and I, this is one, where, one place it's changed me. I keep going back saying, ah, oh, man, if only I had. And suddenly I realize... What I have done is I've focused on myself again instead of focusing on God. And when I focus on God, it recenters my life. It, it, re, it gives me joy again. I say, yes, I failed again, but guess what? God forgave me again. And that's why I don't want to do it again. It doesn't give me the freedom to sin. It gives me the freedom from sin and the freedom not to sin. Message, light, joy, God-centered, and last, relationship. Over and over, directly and indirectly, John affirms our relationship with God. What does he call us? Children. You're my children. Over and over and over. It's, it's seen in that little word where he says, and in, uh, in my English translation it says, uh, dear children or little children. And I've told you many times, I hope you remember this. You know what that means? I hope you remember what it means. It's that nursery term, the nursery, the, the nanny calls you, my little lambkins, or little Bobby, 
or little gin gin. I mean, some whatever that little term that was used as you were growing up, as, as you were with, playing with all the little children. It's that terminology that's used there. When God looks at you, you're his little one. You're his little child. And so we see in chapter 3, verse 1, that marvelous uh, uh, verse where it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, has lavished on us, that we're called his child. In the verses that we're going to read in a few moments, he uses the word dear friends in English. And actually that means beloved. And some of your translations will say that, beloved. And it's the same word that God used of Jesus when he said, This is my beloved son. And it's the same word that's, well, we won't go into any more depth than that, than that you are God's beloved. That's who you are. And so we see this relationship, and because of that, we know. We know we have eternal life. The third reason that John wrote this, that you can know. How can I know because I sin? How can I know I have eternal life because of the things, my weakness? How can I know that? Because I'm God-focused, and I look at Christ, and I say it's because of him and his sacrifice and what he did. Because I'm in him and because he is in me, I know that I'm saved. I know I'm in a right relationship with him. And because of that, I grow and I mature, and I move away from selfishness, and I move toward Christ more and more. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. And then I'm going to introduce our speaker. And as I thought about this passage, as we read it together, and I'm going to read it not from the screen but from from the text itself, I want to invite you to honor this passage, not only by listening, but if if you're able to stand up, I'd like for you to stand as we read this passage. And if you're not able to stand, stand in your heart. It's a passage actually that would be worthy of kneeling but that would be too uncomfortable and hard for many of you to get up, so we won't ask you to kneel. And for some, just lying on the When I read this, we could just lie down on the floor and praise God for this passage. If you're able to, would you stand as we read these verses together? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Thank you. Be seated. Clyde, don't be seated. Come on up. I'm going to have a prayer in a minute, but I'm I'm going to attempt to embarrass you a little. (laughs) Not really. You know, I've known Clyde for, I think, around 31 years. I met him in, I think, 85. In 1985, I had traveled to Western Samoa and Fiji. I was invited to work over there. Uh, I came here, looked at the intern program that the church had, went to some other places. 
And I, what I remember, I remember sitting in, I think it was called the Old Mill, Old, Old Mill Cottage or something like that down near the hospital. I had, a, I had great muffins, I remember that. And sitting there and having lunch and talking with Clyde, first of the, first, one of the first times I, I met him. Uh, about a year and a half later, I moved to Huntsville and been a part of the, the church here in one capacity or, or another since uh, August of 87. That's 29 years ago as of last month. That's amazing. I, I'm not even, I don't even look 29, do I? <laughs> but, you know, over the years, um, we've had, uh, I've been influenced by Clyde in, in many ways. Uh, one of the things I remember is sitting... In his either in his uh, dining room area or on the back porch with lemonade, drinking lemonade with him and talking with him. Uh, his home has been open to us many times. Uh, weekly, it was open for Bible studies. I, I know I've been over there many times for whatever for whatever reasons. And Clyde always had something good to say, some encouraging words. Uh, he had always asked me a question, and he always had the answer, but he was wanted me to find out what the answer was. Have you ever experienced that with Clyde? He'll ask you a question. He already has the answer, but I, you know, he's trying to help me understand something, so I'm working that out. But your hospitality, your hospitality, well, Georgine's hospitality, she was always welcoming uh, people into her home, your home, and I appreciate that so much about uh, uh, that about you and, and Georgine. Uh, one thing is the, the many people that you've studied the Bible with. And I'm talking about those outside of Christ who you've brought into Christ. And I'm also talking about those in Christ that you're just trying to help mature and grow in the faith. Two times you, you came to Fiji when we, when we lived there, and I thank you for that. Um, to this day, when I go back to the Rewanga church and meet some of the people there, they will ask about the old man. Now, you have to understand, in Fiji, that's a term of honor, all right? That's a term of honor, the old man. And so I'll say, which old man? Because sometimes they're talking about my dad. <laughs> how's the old man? And they'll say, oh, your dad. But they will ask, how's the old man? And I'll say, which old man? And I'll say, oh, the one who taught us that song. Um, no one ever cared for me uh, like Jesus. And I say, oh, Clyde, well, he's doing great, and I'll tell them about you. So your influence goes all the way, I know, uh, to other parts of the world besides Fiji, and I thank you for your time there. Your life, your teaching uh, has been uh, a great part of my life, and I thank you for that. Back a few months ago, Clyde shared with the men's, the men we had a men's retreat here at the, at the uh, church here, and he shared based on this passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, and if I remember right, he said this is his current favorite passage. And so uh, I went to him just about as quick as I could after, the, uh, after, after we dismissed. And I said, Clyde, do not lose those notes. Uh, I said, put them somewhere where you can find them because when we eventually get to that passage in 1 John, I want you to introduce it. I want you to share the very things that you shared with us, with the men. I want you to share with the entire congregation. And so I asked Clyde if he would do that. He said he would, and I'm, I'm thankful for that and thankful for your life. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, so much for examples of uh, faith in our lives. I'm thankful for Clyde and how he has 
shared in so many ways. Each person in this room who has known him can look uh, at their own lives and see the things that he has done and the things that how they uh, how he has influenced them. I'm thankful for his faith. I'm thankful for his love, and I'm thankful for this moment that he can share uh, both his love and his faith with us all. I pray this through Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, I don't know why he asked me, but uh, <laughs> he did to share a few words on this particular passage <clears throat> and I thank him for that I have a passionate desire to talk with people about Jesus and our possible life through him these five verses I think give us a beautiful insight into how God in the person of the man Jesus called Christ inserted himself directly into our lives to lead us into joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, that's the King James version of that, 1 Peter 1.8. Uh, I go back to the King James version a lot. Someone asked me what my favorite words in the New Testament were, and my answer was this passage I've committed it to memory, and I go down to the wellness center and sit in the hot tub and recite it to myself. <laughs> uh, nine days ago, I reached 88 years of age in my time life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why anybody clap at that. <laughs> uh, um, in my time life on this earth, uh, the effect of this age shows up mostly in short-term memory loss and causes me to easily lose my uh, train of thought. To uh, avoid as much embarrassment as possible, my thoughts are written out here. As you can see, I didn't bring my Bible, but I brought my notes. So I, can, yeah. I hope this doesn't cause everybody to go to sleep. Uh, but I, I wanted to share with you an email I got from my wife's cousin, Geraldine, that uh, uh, I think illustrates what uh, us 88-year-old people uh, struggle with. It was it said an elderly couple had dinner at uh, another couple's house, and after eating, the wives left the table and went into the kitchen. The two gentlemen were talking, and one said, Last night we went out to a new restaurant, and it was really great. I, I would recommend it very highly. The other man said, What is the name of the restaurant? The first man thought and thought and finally said, What is, what is the name of that flower you give to someone you love? You know, the one that's red and has thorns. Do you mean a rose? Yes, that's the one, replied the man. He then turned towards the kitchen and yelled, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we went to last night? <laughs> Y'all think it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> uh, 
<clears throat> my life has been blessed beyond anything I could ever have ever imagined. I pray that my words today and always will reflect this fact, though the tendency of the inward man is to always talk about struggles and suffering. About uh, 25 years ago, uh, uh, I gave my notes to Alan, and uh, he corrected this. I said 10 years ago, <laughs> and he, he said, I'm sure it was longer than that. So about 25 years ago, I had recently resigned as an elder. I was struggling with where my life in the kingdom should go. I was questioning my walk with God, whom I have feared from my youth. My security about my eternal destiny wavered. Uh, but fortunately, in my joy that I experienced from sharing my faith in Jesus Christ led me to start sitting in on some AA-type meetings. I don't know whether you've ever done that or not. That had been begun at Central by Richard Gregg, who was here for a long time. And to keep this short and to the point, uh, this resulted through a strange series of uh, uh, circumstances. Uh, in my starting in 2007, an alcohol and drug recovery program, now known as His Way. And uh, I didn't notice where he sat down, but the guy that uh, really inspired me to do this uh, Jim Betterton, I think he's here someplace in the audience. He, uh, but he was the one that uh, Joey Betterton, Jim's his father. Uh, <laughs> uh, I met him in the hospital first. Uh, but uh, anyhow, uh, it, it's great to have him here today. Uh, but the reason is that I say it's strange because I had never known nor had any of my family at the time been involved in addiction of this type. Uh, there are just many other things that happened that only God could have brought about. This program has blessed my life beyond measure. Men have come to know Christ almost daily, which has brought so much meaning to my life. Because I get to teach these men about Jesus, my life has really been full of joy. I just sort of have a captive audience. Um, and, and this has made my life so full of joy that uh, I no longer wonder about my standing before God. And though I do, I do not really re believe in retrospect, that my relationship with him was ever threatened, it now has taken on a new dimension. That dimension is, I now believe that God was directing me for his purposes on a new path. Uh, these short words that uh, we're studying on 1 John 4 have helped me to put these things of this life in perspective. Now, I'm going to, uh, again, quote this uh, with a little bit of my thought in it. It says, Dear friends, or as Alan pointed out, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, forgot all of a sudden there. Um, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made, and I'm going to substitute because it's the same Greek word. His love is made perfect in us. And I want to comment on that a little further down in my words. There's a lot to be learned here, I, I, but I just want to concentrate on one idea that has helped me in my walk with God. Many Christians struggle after being baptized into Christ with whether their walk with God is acceptable and whether their salvation is secure. What John reveals here is a way that we can, by our own actions, see and know with assurance that we have a relationship with God that is secure. This action is very simple. He says it's loving our fellow believers. This love, however, is very different from our English word, which is usually defined as a feeling of affection between the one who loves and the object of the love. Um, John defines this love in 1 John 3.16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He gives a, another insight into it in John 13, 34 and 35, where he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now it's sometimes good to think of this love because of our um, uh, problems with our society to think of this as agape love. I, I'm not, I don't want to Talk about Greek because I don't know enough about it. Uh, but uh, agape, you all, most everyone knows. But from these two passages that I just read, uh, we can draw some conclusions about this love. First, it is not a feeling that arises within the lover. Don't think movies or TV uh, with all the emotion. It, it, with the lover caused by the object of love. Rather, it is an action, and I want you to 
get this, and this helped me more. It's an action taken by the lover because of who he is. That is a believer in Jesus. And is completely independent of who the object of his love is. For example, Jesus gave his life for us, it says there, when we were rebels who rejected God. And second, it is visible action. Not only is not a feeling, but it's visible action that all can see. The one who loves, the one who is loved, as well as all casual observers. And third, there is no quid pro quo. You hear that now a lot, I guess, in our politicians, as we see often in the political and lost world. There's nothing required of the object by the one who acts in love. To summarize in my study, a good definition that I use in my mind is the giving of myself, of self, to others for their good without expecting anything in return. And you can see quickly that that's not as easy as you might think. Using this to explain 1 John 4, 9 there, John says that God gave himself in Jesus, who is God, to mankind for their good. What is their good to us? So they can escape death without expecting anything from man beyond accepting the gift that he gives, that is, putting their trust in him. In verse 7, he says, if you see this love anywhere in another Christian or yourself, you can know it is from God. And if you see it in, in someone, you can be assured that person is born of God, that is, is a child of God, and knows God, that is, has an intimate relationship with God. Verse 8 there says the obvious, that if one does not exhibit this love, he does not know God. And that is, he does not have a relationship because this is the only source of this kind of love, is God. Finally, I would skip down to verse 12, and he reemphasizes that if one exhibits this love, we can know that God has come to live within by his spirit, and his love has been perfected there. And that's the reason I... By perfected, I mean it. He has made it what God intended from the beginning. It's the kind of love that God intended. All this came alive to me when I was at the opening of our South Parkway thrift store some months ago. Matt Harrigan, one of our residents at the time, I don't know whether anybody has it, but I'm getting so dry, would somebody get a... Well, water, I'm getting to where I have to lick myself so often. Uh, 
<clears throat> Matt Harrigan, one of our residents at the time, asked me what I did with my time. Now, this sort of startled me. Uh, probably he was wondering how an old codger with no real job could have anything much to do specifically. Uh, <clears throat> and suddenly it all gelled for me with this passage. And I said, I go around looking for people to love. You know, it's my belief that we are all engaged in a search for the meaning of this existence. What I have concluded from this passage is that in Christ, we have been given real meaning to our lives that is expressed in our actions of love. It makes us see the meaning of life. Paul in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 explains it this way. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. To give some... Fer Let me take a little... To give some, thank you, whoever did that, to give some further insight to this action we call agape love, I want to share some things I have experienced to illustrate it. Nobody of people or church, we often say, who are followers of Christ are without problems. This is certainly true if I'm, I am among them. But the Central family has been a source of love to me and my family for the past 36 years. I know that it is true for most of you. It makes me really joyful to hear Jim Phillips tell people of the love he has experienced here. I want to tell you of someone who recently expressed love to me and made an old man cry. This was a girl that I have grown close to and enjoy seeing at every assembly. She came to me on her birthday and handed me a pie she had prepared for me. What a thrill that was and what a beautiful example of agape love that John wrote about. By the way, she is only five years old. It's hard to imagine an adult giving to others on their own birthday. But a five-year-old? Wow. When preparing these words, I immediately thought, but how can she be showing this love when she has not been at age five, born of God in baptism. I pondered about this and God revealed the answer to me in Matthew 19, 19, 14, where Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
She does not need to be born again of the water and spirit, for she's already a part of the kingdom. Another very loving group of people is the staff and board of directors of His Way, who have expressed by their participation in the program a love for the residents that has made me look like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> Remember, our definition of this love is giving of self to others for their good without expecting anything in return. And that is hard. Bill and Terry Nyland, Tom and Selwyn Reynolds, Daryl Floyd, Jeremy Mitchell, and a host of others have given so very much of themselves for the good of many, many residents who could never repay them for this love. Sixty-six years ago, I met, and I don't want any laughter, and within four months married a beautiful young lady. At the time, if you had inquired, I would have said that I loved her deeply. But sadly, I must confess, not with the kind of love here described. About two years later, though, she was baptized into Christ. And God used her to teach me what agape love really is. For 60 years, she and I partnered in the joy of sharing the gospel with nearly 100 different people, most of whom I keep their name and keep in touch with them. Uh, I most of whom I was kept in contact with. And I wanted to make a thought about that because I just had one of those people, Sam Ohanian knows, uh, Klaus Dannenberg sent me an email of his daughter teaching a woman's class in uh, her congregation out in Texas. Beautiful thing to hear. It sort of scared me how much she, more she knew about than I did. <clears throat> but just recently when I was making my bed for the following evening, it suddenly dawned on me that she had done for me in our 60-plus years that very thing over 20,000 times without ever once mentioning it. You might say that is what Every wife does, but I say that is a small example of what Jesus meant when he said, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I have come to believe that this is one reason why God gave us marriage. Instead of letting, letting us live like animals, which... So many do. Marriage is the place that we can just naturally practice God's love. If we as God people don't do it, this world will very soon collapse in on itself. 
And little girls like the one I mentioned won't have a chance of being the wife of a man who loves her. And the two make a difference in the destiny of many that follow after them. I want to urge all of us who are married to make every effort to practice this love with each other. There's a song from my era entitled, You're Nobody Till Somebody Loves You. What exactly the writer of that song had in mind, I'm not sure. But it's definitely not what we have been exploring here. We possibly could modify the words to you're nobody till you love someone, which would be better. But strangely, this song ends with this line, you're nobody till somebody loves you, so find yourself somebody to love. The last five words is what I am urging, and I believe that John had in mind in the verses we have looked at here. He says back in 1 John 3.23, he writes, and, and this is his, I'm quoting now, and this is his, God's, command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Now this is a very simple and complete statement of the good news found in Jesus Christ. If we believe in Jesus and love one another, our life will be secure in Christ. If you in this audience are struggling in any way with making sense out of your life, consider the words found here. If this congregation can help you in any way, we're going to, I guess, now stand and uh, sing a song we call an invitation song. And it invites you to come forward and let your need be known so that we can share our love with you. Thank you.